Recognizing the uh, limitations of words and the ineffable nature of reality, even this kind of mundane reality can only be talked about. Still acknowledging the powerful influence of words, ideas that resonate for us, that have meaning for us, that somehow cause our attention to jolt, to align itself, to check things out, to chime in. Does this feel right? Is this so? How does this feel in me? This very quality of attention. And it said that in full attention to uh, the presentation of Dhamma, all the enlightenment faculties are present. And it's of the cases such in, in the Sutta Pitika where many people seem to have actually enlightenment experiences on hearing uh, exposition of the Buddha. Just the sense in which that quality of deep interest prepared attention, ability to, if you like, resonate with the true meaning that's both in themselves, in themselves, in their deepest aspiration. Um, there can be an alignment, and I use that phrase, that word, it can be an alignment, there can be a coming out of a contracted state, or an agitated state, or a broken state, uh, or a deflated state, into something that suddenly we feel momentarily perhaps there is wholeness, there is clarity, there is ground. And the uh, presentation of that, the introduction to that ground, um, <clears throat> is neither self produced nor independent, it's dependently arising that arises in a particular context where there's attention to an object and there's a, a resonance. The attention itself is primed, it's a proper tone to that, there's the brightness, the non-straining, the alertness. The tonality of attention is, is clear and wholesome. And then as contact occurs, even just the contact onto the mind occurs, there can be an alignment. Something drops away, something picks itself up, something comes out of the shadows, 
Buddha said there is um, Chakkum Udapadi, Jnana Udapadi, Vidya Udapadi, Panya, Aloko. There is seeing, there is no uh, insight or gnosis, there is a vision, Vidya, there is Panya, there is wisdom, Aloko, there is light. And one who is able to uh, feel that or really integrate that is someone who has entered onto the noble path. They know the pattern. Something has registered that. Something in them was there long enough to take a, sh- a snapshot of that. If you like, got the real fully felt sense is there of that's what it's like. That's when I'm true. That's when it's real. That's when the, the norm is established. And it said then the spotless, immaculate vision or clarity or, of the Dhamma arises. So this is the entry into the path from which one does not um, decline. So in in just in listening, as it's been said before, the ability to have that attention that's, that's, that, is in, that is an aspect of the ground, a relaxed, easy contact, rather than trying to remember every word or get sidetracked, just letting it touch and seeing where the resonances are. And maybe, you know, ten phrases five phrases, one phrase, a meaningful pause. <laughs> and it's the, the very act of attention and the, in that tonal way is prime for that kind of the striking of the gong whereby one hears the meaning, feels the meaning, the view is established. I think for me, uh, um, a word I like to bring up along with alignment is, uh, is wholeness. It's, we may, um, for example, consider practice in terms of perfection, samma, samma, samadhi, samma, sati, samma, all these sammas. Samma, you know, may be translated as right or perfect. It can also be held to be as complete or whole. And I think that, that though these are still just words, perfection tends to bring up a certain sense of, you know, a ladder that we're ascending up to heights and wholeness. It's perhaps a feeling of rounding out and completing where we are. I'd like to present that as something to resonate with. You know, are, you, are you all here? You feel whole here? Like as always, we start this retreat. Are you settled? Are you feel completed? Just in the present. And then being able to recognize that there is, there is wholeness here. And recognizing when it's not here and what throws it out.
the, the one of the um, ways in which that which throws it out is is uh, cluster the cluster of terms is wrong seeing or wrong handling or avijja and just just the recognizing the word vijja which seems like clarity or vision is very much a seeing kind of head term actually in in the buddhist language is quite closely related to vedana comes from the same root ved vid seeing and vedana we know actually means feeling so although in our language, we tend to highly you know, create quite a strong boundary between knowing and, and feeling. Actually, in, in the Pali language, they're, they're really pretty much blurred together. You feel, you know, you might say sensing. There's something that covers both what we feel as, you know, feeling is a kind of something that happens to us and is very primary and just is occurring on contact and knowing is something which is organized and we've got particular established patterns there already and we just fit things into what we know already and knowing is a can be a second-hand experience in other words we know according to what we have remembered or learnt or been instructed in and this is you know a feature of literate cultures and Remembering you know, Buddha's culture, perhaps the Buddha himself is not literate, not into writing, reading. You know, so things were felt, sensed. You kind of resonate with them and feel how it is, how, how it's affecting you. So then getting it wrong, sensing it wrong, is the, is the very quality of dissonance that is um, the sense of avijja, when it feels dissonant, wrong, out of tune. This is avijja, not getting it right. And with that, there's this feeling of some strain, some agitation, some stress, dukkha. And the stress can be very kind of chronic, so chronic that we don't really call it stress anymore. It just seems to be the normal thing of feeling slightly held, slightly pushed, feeling not quite complete, something we've got to get or do or have, something we shouldn't be, something that's bugging me, but I can just kind of keep it in the background so it's all right. Um, and so certain amount of stuff that actually is, is meaningful for us, it means something, it's, it's a sign of dissonance, it's got something in it for us, is can be sort of shoved to the periphery, that we keep an all right bit you know, going in the centre, we've got the stuff around the periphery. Um, uh, and that becomes increasingly exiled from, from our mainstream awareness. We get by, we get along, and these things are, well, yeah, you know, that's life, or that's his problem, or whatever. You know, so one has a certain amount of this dead stuff um, in the background of, of of one's awareness, and it's it's actually still soaking up energy, because it is it has its own, um, you know, it's still there in our process somewhere, you know, it's maybe not consciously acknowledged. It's still there, rumbling, mumbling, nag- nagging, tugging, 
it soaks up energy because it is energetic, and it also soaks up energy, the energy of having to keep it back there, you know, out of sight. Um, so our life can feel quite just kind of held and tense uh, as a norm. And you go to sleep and then strange dreams come up. Um, you know, this stuff, this exile stuff springs out at times when one's guard is down, perhaps. It's, all, it's, it's loaded. And much of it we see um, around us or sense around us. You know, the, the me bit is, is the bit that's is coping, managing okay. And then there's the, the other bit, which is, uh, which is not so okay, which is either a bit that's, that's pushed out of the main uh, ego or the main sense of myself, which is a sense of familiarity and manageability and coping and okayness. And there's other bits that are pushed out of that, uh, which we either shrug off as subliminal, funny stuff, moods that something came over me, but never mind, I'm okay now. I wasn't quite myself right now, but now I am. Um, you know, so we can do that with it. Uh, alternatively, it, it's projected out around us. I'm okay, but there's some funny people around here. <laughs> you know? And uh, you one can recognize it, it as, you, as you settle into particular uh, relational patterns, however bonded that is, um, some, of your, some of your stuff starts to be starts to kind of grow on other people. (laughs) Uh, I notice myself, and very often I become people's kind of rather unfortunate father images. Sometimes it could be their mother images, which is rather nice. Or bits. But the sense in which I, you know, this, in this particular relational state, then, you know, this, I kind of take on or find myself carrying some of the um, authority um, experience for people, which um, can be quite negative. Fearful. It can be some affection and admiration, and this can also be, because it's, it's a mixed thing, one doesn't just carry one set of things, you carry a whole bunch of things. There's a whole lot of stuff splurging around. Some of it is a sense of somebody who might be, you know, the, the firm, the trustworthy, the person one can take refuge in, you know, somebody might be that. That's a possibility. Along with that comes the shadow effect. Yeah, but they might not like me. <laughs> you know, maybe they got the goods, but they might not actually. I want to be worthy of it. They might not like me. So there's a sense, can be a sense of precariousness around it. 
And, um, you know, this is, you know, nothing that's really that un- unusual. Um, so, then actually witnessing what other people become for us or mean for us, we begin to recognize, hey, that, that's part of my mind out there. There's <laughs> my, my mother out there, you know. <laughs> my kind of eternally loving female out there, you know, the feminine, the, the, that which always accepts me and will, will love me, whatever. And then there's the kind of reassuring masculine image out there that will kind of be strong and protect me and keep me okay. And then there's shadow effects. There's the untrustworthy female who will betray me. Well, I'll kind of expect to support me and then we'll kind of, you know, grow, grow dark. There's the masculine figure that will condemn me look down upon me. So it, it, it switches, and one can sometimes feel this, particularly in relational context. I've noticed a lot in Sangha experience um, how these sudden switches can occur just over particular behavior patterns or words or gestures or sometimes silences, you know, <laughs> where a person's process touches that and it strikes these particular resonances of avijja, of, of um, sensing something, sensing the wrongness, a wrong sensing. And, you know, and in most relationships, we, we're both doing it, you know. As long as there's some degree of avijja, then, you know, it's mutual. So, you know, so that you get this it's strange effects occurring in a relational level. And really trying to say this is, you know, when I say this is my mind, that's not entirely, the, it's not completely true. There's, there's aspects of this. This is aspects of, 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 of what I need to learn about. What I see out there. What I sense out there. And particularly the pulls of it. The sense in which you owe me something. You know, or... I've got to do something for you so that, so that I will be okay with you. And that particular nervousness, sometimes, you know, when we maybe sit four or five together, a little flutter of anxiety that well, I should be doing something here. You know? I kind of owe somebody something. I've got to come up with something. You know? Or they doesn't really like me. You know, I feel quite nervous about this. I've got to come up with something good. So we you know, rummage through for some powerful insight I might have had. At <laughs> that moment, I'm in such a freaked out state that all my lovely insights have just died away. <clears throat> and maybe just being able to, to, to say the, the feeling in the feeling is the way to prick the bubble, to, to come out of the trance. And, and then you know, it's actually a very powerful quality of, of trust. I'm sensing this. This is not a fault as such. This is, this is a sensing. I need to align myself. I need to honor and own up to what I'm actually experiencing. And I trust you enough that you know, this won't throw you into some kind of earthquake experience. 
And there is something very uh, healing about being able to recognize that you know one, one's mental uh, content or one's one's mental behavior or one's whole consciousness behavior is holistic. It's not just this is consciousness here and everything out there is just something else. You know, it's completely untouched. It's just exactly that. Realizing this consciousness just splatters. You know, it's, it's holistic. And there's a subjective part of it and an apparent object. And both of those, all of that is covered with this uh, consciousness and, and the urges and the interests and the biases and the uh, all that. <clears throat> and um, whether we take the, the object to be um, another person or a particular situation we're in, or a particular scenario that we visit or a particular uh, piece of history or breathing or the physical body, then around, on that object, um, and through, and the very presentation of that object itself is a conditioned thing. The very presentation of that object is a conditioned thing. This means, even as it arises, the quality of it arising, arises borne up by conditions. And it's presented, its presentation, its formulation is conditioned. And uh, this process of conditioned arising um, is um, stemming from something not being completely settled yet. Something that uh, Sister Tania mentioned the other day was about this um, particular very powerful and rather cryptic passage in the Anguttara collection where the, the Buddha says all, um, all things, all dhammas are rooted in interest. This means there's a, there's a partiality, there's an agenda there, there's some sort of what's in it here. All dhammas arise with that. Uh, all dhammas are um, made into becoming by attention. They are, they are brought to mind, they are brought to mind by attention. Um, they rise up, they become active, they become potentized, they become, um, they become intimate, if you like, dependent on contact. So they're no longer just out there, and oh, that's interesting, they're suddenly touching me. And I'm, invo- I'm, you know, there's a bit of involvement here. They become potentized through contact. They converge on feeling, and is the very edge of that contact impression is there's a felt sense there. It can be mentally felt. It's that chitta vibrates with that. They are um, headed by concentration. And it can be a unifying of awareness around that, that heads it. And sometimes that concentration 
Uh, we can say even there can be wrong concentration, which, get, which means we get caught and obsessed on that. Or there could be right concentration, which actually cre- you know, has the quality of uh, generating some awareness space around that particular felt experience. Dominated by mindfulness are all things. This is where the good news starts. And we're coming into presence. You know, that, that wonderful quality of mindfulness to bring us, bring everything into present here, now. So instead of you, me, it, past, I was, I should, why, what will we do about, we come into presence. It is, this feels like this. And I'm starting to align to that. This, this dominates it. This means instead of it spinning out and, or, or, or um, even spinning out and, and some of those bits being hastily shoved aside. Oh, sorry about that. I'll forget about that. You know, funny mood came over, but never mind. Push that back. Um, and lots of things happening that are not being said. We're just coming into real presence with that. And that, that dominates it. And that's a nice, that's a really powerful word. But it means that the, you know, that felt sense meaning with its dissonance or whatever is now captured. We've owned it. See what I mean? And I think many of what's been said here on this podium and in the interviews is just doing that. And you realize the blessing of that when you're in an interview and you come out with, you know, quite a bit of story and perhaps the, the teacher just says, and how's that? You know, so it's just like gathering up into right the present. How's that now? And, you know, that can be very powerful, can't it? In that suddenly the whole potency of that is gathered together and we really know it, feel it, sense it, are with it. So instead of it being able to, to proliferate into a feeling of me thinking about it and the past and you and him and my mother and da 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 the world and so forth, where it, it splinters out into some fragments which are called feeling fragments, a bit of sadness, a bit of grief, and some fragments which are called knowledge fragments, which is, you know, my town, the neighbor, the dog, or whatever, little conceptual fragments. It's, it's held where the knowing and the feeling blend. And in that, the possibility, um, which is uh, with wisdom, uh, surmountable by wisdom, by panya, all things. That is, instead of it suddenly flipping us over, something in us can rise up. It's that. And there can be that flash of insight or of realizing what we'd left out, what we hadn't seen. And so, surmountable by wisdom, with deliverance, with muti, with muti sarana, with deliverance as their essence, are all dhammas. And as all, all of this can unfold, it can break open, you know, when it's all gathered together, held and aligned to that distortion, that confusion, that unresolved thing, the fragmentation 
is gathered together and then the, the knot unties. And this is this particular place or this particular point is where we're moving from the bits that I can do. And most of us come to almost like a koan-like place where we, we come to the place we feel you know, a little bit helpless, actually. I don't like that. And I, I, I start to acknowledge the feeling and the, the things that seem to, to be there in my life and built into my life and the situation I'm in, which is pretty trapped and goes on for till I die and you must do it and it's for the kids or whatever. <laughs> you know, it's so this kind of this knowledge fragment which has got its own storyline and the feeling fragment, which, you know, I am stuck, uh, you know, I am resentful, um, I feel dominated, I feel oppressed by that. And as we kind of gather this together into one kind of lump, which is feeling knowing, it's like the, all the, the, the differing uh, states within that begin to merge, and it's like, as we're saying with the... Um, Discourse on emptiness. You know, we, we we come to just the unifying single quality of that gestalt of that that whole thing, and instead of it being knowing something and feeling something about it, it's a knowing feeling, or a felt knowing, a felt sense, and it feels like this, and it's empty of that. And at that place there can be this shift, of, uh, which is where the, um, you know, the wisdom is, is to hold it in that place and resonate with it, and then there can be this shift, which is realizing that in this there is the possibility for deliverance by holding it. Not by solving it, fixing it, getting rid of it, going away from it, but just by holding it at the place where it becomes a unified, felt sense. There can be a a realignment in that. Surmountable by wisdom... with deliverance as essence, merging in the deathless, are all dhammas, terminating in nibbana, are all dhammas. That is, as there is that uh, resolution and the sense of being freed from a conundrum, freed from a stuck state, there can be um, all of that energy, all of that formation energy relaxes unfolds into something ineffable, recognizable, the deathless. Terminating in Nibbana, one's heart cools down, one's heart comes to rest. So these two terms, deathless and Nibbana, are seen as pretty much the same thing. Deathless seems to refer to what may be sensed almost as an object, 
nibbana, something that might be sensed as a sub- subjectively. You know, one feels nibbamed, which is kind of unbound, cooled, um, safe, steady, whatever. You know, it's that sense to it. And the deathless is like one one's space seems, or that that very quality of presence seems unbounded, you know, timeless. The essential thing is terms of what we do, really, because the the uh, the end of the doing bit is um, the arising of panya, of of, of what's called lokutra um, panya, or or enlightenment wisdom, and then the rest of it just follows through through staying with that, through allowing that process to to take its course. Through not grasping conceptually at, at that insight, and through dwelling in it, so that if you like, our whole uh, pattern of knowing, sensing, can be properly realigned, can, can kind of settle itself. <clears throat> and I expect most of us uh, have us have various small issues, big issues you know, that we uh, feel. You know, or lumpy, gritty, happening for us. We may be dealing with our sense of fear or inadequacy, that dissonance. Our sense of, what can I do? A sense of carrying a burden. I notice for myself, the uh, being in the position of um, responsibility or, for, or taking that up, or that, that arising in, in awareness, that arising in the mind, responsible, responsible. And maybe being reminded of that um, several times a day. <laughs> Either subliminally or, 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 or quite literally. You, know, you are the abbot. You know. <laughs> um, or although it's subliminal. You know. There's certain gestures and certain inflections that, that sort of let things slide this way. A decision has to be made and well, what do you think? It comes around in the sense of, oh, um, right, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and how, you know, that, that, that kind of automatic sliding can be done, affected both subjectively, that's when it automatically moves into it, it is up to me, and perhaps if one has established uh, relationships that, that, that help to support that. So everybody else thinks it's up to you as well. <laughs> so there it is. <laughs> I believe it and everybody else believes it. So, you know. <laughs> and uh, 
they get into this? <laughs> and then maybe, you know, with that there comes a sense of, well, you better get it right. There's a lot hanging on this. Um, uh, and so on. Uh, and then the stakes go up. So particularly if you're, say, in this particular position, teaching or being a mentor, then you feel a tremendous sense of concern that what you say or do or don't say or don't do has an effect. And we'll be quite careful how that's going to land. Um, chances of getting this right all the time, um, hmm. <laughs> you know, it, it's really quite a, uh, a good, it's a good thing in a way because it does continually keep pushing one to the place of, of, of purity, you know, trying to be as clear as one can, coming from the, uh, as, as, as loving a place, as clear a place as one can, um, and perhaps being able to acknowledge, okay, I missed it, I got it wrong there, and so on. So it's, it's a practice place, it has its edges and its um, training. As an identity place, I think there must be a, some kind of hell realm. <laughs> if you take it as an identity, it becomes quite, quite heavy. You know? One could never get it wrong. One always got to get it right. So that, 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 that it becomes a fear place and a tense place. So I've certainly found it very helpful in my own practice just to be able to say, you know, I want to bring forth what goodness I can. I really want to, I love to do that, bring forth what goodness I can. This is not a problem for me. I love to do that. I love seeing the effects of uh, what I can help or manifest. I love seeing when people lose a bit of their sorrow. That, 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 that brightens me. It will drop a little bit of their weight, that brightens me. Um, but then also recognizing in this, there's the, there's the feedback risk, isn't there? That one also has to acknowledge um, you know, how you know, one's own awijja, one's own wrong seeing, starts to make an identity out of that. And also then once one's made an identity out of that, then the very uh, um, shadows of that identity also you have to be dealt with. Sense of perhaps not having got it right, not being able to help, not being able to work it out. Uh, um, somehow, you know, people start being stuck and you can't do anything about it. Um, there perhaps being more people around than you can do it for the limitations of one's time and energy. And, uh, or then the sense of one's culpability. You know, maybe I did something, what I thought was quite funny and humorous. It went down like a stone, you know. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> it landed on somebody's toe, you know, on somebody's sore spot. They felt they were being laughed at or mocked, ridiculed, looked down upon, made feel small, you know, insensitive brute. Uh, and, and these things which occur. 
and actually just being able to come to the uh, felt sense of that, the feeling sense of that, uh, you know, from time to time, saying, I'm fed up with this. I've had enough of this. A sense, something in there, just a sense of resentment can be there. I'm fed up with this. I'm stuck in this. I've had enough of this. And owning that. Not as a, 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 a statement to be taken literally, but it's just how it feels at a particular point, a particular time. Uh, and how, um, you know, one doesn't want to say that. You know, I feel, I feel dumped on you know, by this. I feel used, I feel abused. Um, you know, I feel, give me space, you know, give me freedom. Let me roll on a beach, let me jump in the air, let me be who I am, you know. Stop trying to make me into being something so wonderful, or responsible, or efficient, or effective, or always here for you, always there for you, or never here for you, or whatever it is. (laughs) Just get out of my life. (laughs) 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 Ah, that was nice. And as she's saying, this is just, you know, holding that, holding that sense, and saying, you know, in the conditioned realm, and then when there's these, still these traces of, of wrong knowing, of wrong seeing, this is the kind of thing that, that happens. You know, we get these clogged residues. It's not your fault, it's not my fault. It's, it's just that we haven't completed our practice yet. Um, and so this way of, of being able to, you know, use those, you know, come to the felt sense of a particular stuck situation and hold it and feel it and resonate with it. Um, and sensing in that, there can be uh, something, you know, that I've, that I've actually fragmented, you know, fragmented thing becomes whole and there can be a, a release so in a way what fragmentation occurs is that the, my very sense of presence has, has actually got stuck out there I've put my sense of presence onto somebody else you know I derive my meaning from someone from something that I've said is other than me And I need to, in a way, regain that, so that that there can be the the free giving of that presence, but it's not stuck out there. It's not stuck as some other objects carry that, or other people hold that. And this has been a very powerful process for me, because because when one enters a Sangha, the community, then in a way one does give and honour and bestow onto one's teacher, and onto the community, and onto the Buddha, and onto the Dhamma, and onto the Sangha, you kind of put it all out there, along goes your, some of your aspiration, and um, your affection and warmth, and your love and your confidence and your hope, all goes out there. These bits of your presence go out there. Um, and 
they're there so that you, in a way you're able to acknowledge that there is all this for me and now I put it out there um, and then if we're not careful it, it sort of coagulates into objects that begin to separate from me so then you know, maybe my, my teacher lets me down and what happened to my hope what happened to my hope situation my faith, it, it kind of it went one wasn't able to to keep you know, that sense in one's own sphere is split off. Living in, in, in monastic life, and I understand today people have been sharing a little about the the Sangha experience over living uh, 27 years in this then there's been a lot of stuff coming and going in a relational sense you know, a, lot, a lot of uh, you know, like everybody I ordained with has gone uh, the first teacher I had killed himself um, when I came to England then you know, most of the monks I went in have now left. Um, certainly, uh, of most of you know, of the sangha I've known, uh, much more has gone than has survived. And all of those are, are, have carried a little bit of faith, hope, trust, belief, confidence. You know, it's okay here, isn't it? All of them carry a little bit of that. you can end up feeling like like um, a rock in the sea you know it's like where you have a, a headland and gradually the sea erodes all around it so this is one pinnacle of rock sticking up <laughs> when's it coming for me you know <laughs> it's kind of lonely out here isn't it with the waves lashing away uh, and you look around thinking well who's going to be the next one to Go, maybe it would be me. Uh, uh, and that, that sense of the, the, the fear or the, the survivor, you know, the survivor mentality uh, of holding a, a lot of grief and not really recognizing that because it's all kept as, you know, out there. It was him, it was her, it was them, it was, you know. And uh, philosophizing around it. And I guess we all do this in our lives. We lost our mothers, our fathers, so so on. Uh, We've had lovers and friends and lost them. And uh, every one of those that we've loved at that particular moment, there was that kind of rising up and one's presence filled and one felt beautiful, welcomed. And there was that coming into presence that was what was so lovely, you know. And then you place that onto that particular person, the presence wasn't able to hold it. You know? Who can hold your presence? Who could? Who could there be who could hold it apart from you? And you put it onto someone else, so that perhaps now I don't have to hold it so much. You can hold it. You know? uh, and that isn't always negotiated. 
Okay, I'd like to take a break for 10 minutes, please. Because um, right now I want to be unlovable. You know, but <laughs> could you carry it yourself for a moment while I go off and do something unlovable? And then I'll come back again and do <laughs> wonderful for you again. You know. That would seem rather fair and uh, courteous procedure, I would think. But <laughs> we're not able, always able to do that because we're not entirely in charge of the process or even conscious of it. Uh, it's not to, you know, so, so there's a sense of, God, you know, your trust around here. You're going to work, you know. So I don't think I'll do that so much now. I won't actually love anybody anymore, trust anybody anymore, because they, they always let you down. Yeah. They're a bit withdrawn. And one has um, created this stuck place, boundary, mistrust, withheld. Fear, fear of getting hurt again. So, in a way, then one can live with people with something you really like, wishing to be able to bestow your presence, and something you're fearing doing that. Yeah, you know, the move between the two. And as long as it's it's left like that, we haven't really acknowledged the fear or the grief of that, felt that, the felt sense of that, what it's like to live in a, in a, in a world like that, um, then we haven't really regained our, our complete presence. Part of us is still out there with the dead and the lost and the gone and that. Part of us still is, is out there. And we only regain it by really the feeling, where things converge on the feeling and be focused on, held with mindfulness, mounted by wisdom. The process of this fragmentation, diffusion, <coughs> the process, if you like, of wrongness or wrong feeling, wrong sensing, as it occurs in its fruitful, in its active state, rather than just something that's residual, when it actually acts, is called uh, papancha in, in Pali, which means something like proliferation, diffusion, um, making an object, um, identification, various ways in which people try to practice, you know, make this term user-friendly. Um, and it has particular aspects to it. The first aspect is, is the sense of craving or thirst. Thirst to have, thirst to be, thirst to belong, thirst to own, thirst to get away from sense of income because of the wrongness, the sense of dissonance, there's a thirst to now I could cure this. But actually the confusion is that we cure it not by altering the paradigm of fragmentation of self and other, but by staying within that paradigm and projecting our felt need onto the other.
So this is this is the, the, the craving. I'm incomplete. You know. mm. Second aspect of this is the view that arises, which is um, <coughs> like the interpretation. Uh, what you are, what it should be, what it is, um, it's a view. And that means that the, the particular emotional, emotive content becomes stabilized into a meaning. You are this way, you should be this way, now you are this for me, you are that, I am this, this is that. So the view stabilizes and makes... Um, into a, a fixed thing, this particular emotive dynamic. <coughs> and the third aspect is conceit. And conceit is con- means not necessarily puffed up pride, it means one conceives of oneself, I am this. So this, you know, is something that occurs um, and this occurs not just in relating with other people, also in terms of relating to our own process. You know, particular sets of, of, of you know, feelings and instincts arising, thirsts and needs, and then a view arises, I should be this way, I should have this, um, this, is, this is wrong, this is right. You get this, this viewing tendency, which means that the some part of that material is then pushed out of where it shouldn't be here. And some part of the material is, is held. This is, what I, this is what I want, this is what I should be. You, you, so you, you, one adopts a view, a partiality. And people are doing this all the time, aren't they? We have views about... What do we not have views about, you know? <laughs> Food, politics, sex, religion different aspects of religion, different aspects of different aspects of religion, you know, views about samatha, views about vipassana, views about noether, views about both. Um, And it's like, there is the quality of the the passion in those. It only gets felt when somebody says, well, I don't agree with you, you know, I think you're completely out of order here. And and you're, you know, it says this and this and this, and you know, do you realize this? Um, around our politics or beliefs or ideologies, so you know the, it, it kind of it is passionate. It doesn't seem that way because it, it crystallizes into something that becomes righteous, and so righteousness or con- this sense of conviction is a sign of a view, um, and then the conceit arises: I am this. I'm the right. Per- I'm on the right side. You know, I've got it. This is this is true, and this is right. And this is only this is true, and only this is right. And I am it. And that's part of the <coughs> whole process of the attraction of a view. Is it gives us somewhere to stand, where we can stabilize. We can belong to a party, a club, a religion, um, a, a role. I am this, you know. and. Of course, this is then the, where the stress 
the holding of that, the need to prove and defend and manifest that can, you know, occurs. So notice how, how righteousness, which is the, the strongest aspect of the view, becomes very strong, the righteousness. And how when, once we have righteousness behind us, then that can justify many things. You know, contempt for the wrong, uh, looking down upon, forming groups of those who follow the same ideology. Righteousness. And uh, it's the... I was saying to some people the other other week that someone who did a whole study on human violence and said there's only you could only find having studied this cases throughout history and cases individual cases people being violent with each other like nations being violent with each other or he says I can only find one universal underlying cause for all human violence. It's called justice. (laughs) The just shall get their deserts. The just shall quench their, their, shall get their revenge. The just shall punish. The just shall uh, have free reign to do whatever they think is right. And every, you know, so once we get righteous, we start to think we can sort other people out. And of course, this is what is happening all over the world in a global pattern. Our enemies think they are completely right, just, and got a just cause, and they're fighting for it. There are no ministries called Ministry of War. Every ministry is called Ministry of Defense. (laughs) Nobody creates war at all. Everybody just defends themselves against these alien forces that are trying to wipe them out. There's not a single um, military, uh, no military um, armament that's called aggression. It's always called the defense industry. Uh, There's no no thing called the aggression industry, (laughs) the violence industry, the death industry. It's always that which is protecting our lives, defending us, you know. (laughs) By nuking those rats out there. And this, you know, this is kind of a gross sign of what happens in, in, in the mind. And even to ourselves, the aggression towards ourselves. I mean, perhaps we might have touched into some of that in the retreat. Our, the righteousness in our minds towards ourselves. And somehow the, 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 the one who's right, the I am, this is the hard thing called the self. And it's restless because it, it's always only occupying one aspect of the total picture, which is this aspect called the self aspect. And the otherness is dislocated. The otherness is that which I've got to fix, work out, um, allay, 
soothe, placate, win over, carry, and so forth. And it's not acknowledged. This is my mind. You know, this is part of it. All this and all these meanings that are invested in it are all coming from the same place. They're all welling up. So in our practice of uh, full awareness, realize self, the, you know, the, the picture is self and other, is the picture. There's an object, bit of me called an object, there's a bit of me called a subject. Some of my stuff, or some of the stuff, the karmic propensities are sprayed out there, and they're called objects. Uh, the, the meanings out there. Not to say there's nobody out there, but the meanings you know, are, are the, the, the objectification. And the bits in here, or the bits that I call me, the other bit of it, that's, that's the dislocation. And as long as that pattern is not seen through, there will always be this seeking an object, worrying about an object, defending oneself from an object, Dealing with an object, you know, trying to be, find out how the object feels about the subject, and all this kind of shimmering around. Uh, perhaps one of the beauties of of right relationship is the ability just to just to say what you know, what the potency is right now, whether it is fear or love or whatever, just, just so that at that moment we understand what the, what the field is carrying. And then, ah, oh, okay, it's that. And one's orphans have come home. Those fragments have come back. And yeah, I can be with grief, I can be with, yeah, you know, I don't want to be with it, but it was like this. Oh, that's okay. It, when the sati dominates it, and you can align to that, and it, you feel the feeling in the feeling. I suppose most of us on retreats have had that experience of, of um, you know, we come in here and there are other people around and, mm-hmm. oh yeah, fine, and then a couple of days is a little bit of night. <laughs> Why does she always put her shoes there? It's night. A bit of. Why does she always cough? It's night. It's night. A bit of. Why does he look at me like that? Snipe, snipe. She eats a lot, doesn't she? Snipe. He <laughs> always pushes the head to get the tea. Snipe, snipe. Ministry of Defence is getting busy. You know. <laughs> <laughs> just, just defending itself from these annoying, irritating, stupid, incompetent people. <laughs> Selfish, arrogant clumsy, mindless people 
around me. So I protect myself against all this, you know. <laughs> Where did they all come from, you know? <laughs> or, you know, the other is the, what the famous Vipassana romance, isn't it? It's the other aspect of it. Kind of, you know, the, the love. She's obviously a very refined, high being. <laughs> you know, deeply caring, sensitive. You can see that in the way that she walks. You know, in a way, these seem like, you know, of course the lovely stuff sounds like the best thing we could do, isn't it? The best thing we could do is to, is to have that going for another person. Mm. Best thing we could do. Mm. But this acknowledging that need for feeling warm, feeling bright, and how, you know, can we ask somebody else to carry that for us? As, a, as an identity, as a role. Yeah. Is that really compassionate? Yeah. Is that really possible? Or doesn't a relationship finally rest and work when I can be with your nasty, gritty little bits? And that's fine. And you can be with my nasty, gritty little bits, and that's fine. And because of that, we feel safe and warm with each other. And and we know our needs and our requirements, and we can acknowledge those. We're not asking someone else to kind of carry it for us as some identity, or some role. And we don't ask this of our bodies or our minds to be the perfect. So relationship takes us right into this. You know. How do I relate to my moods and feelings? Please give me those lovely serene moods and feelings. Oh no. I can't do it all the time. I, you know, maybe I can squeeze one out now and then, but please don't ask me to do it all the time. You know. <laughs> so that sense of, uh, you know, the, the subject-object thing occurs both externally and internally, and it's regaining that where we start to feel the quality of truth and alignment when things don't have to be perfect because they can be whole. And in the wholeness, the so-called imperfect rests and it begins to, the quality of dissonance begins to dissolve. These are conditions. These are conditioned realities. And there can be the presence, the knowing, the spaciousness, 
the openness around that. The whole thing arises with uh, attention. So these first two factors, the factor of interest, which is a volitional quality, there's a certain seeking, a certain kind of inclining. And that's the subjective (coughs) citta. (coughs) And then there's the object formation, which is the manas aspect, also called mind. It's a little confusing, but manas, which is mind as that which defines an object. Jitta is mind as that which, which resonates as a subject. So attention picks up, says this is the object, formulates an object. Can be a person, can be a particular aspect of a person, and it's coloured, it's got a colouring to it. It's not a neutral act, it's an interested, partialised act. You know, so in that, some of, some of the unexpressed need is in that. <coughs> some of the unexpressed fear is in that. And as we witness an object, what, in looking at what is the meaning of this, what is the meaning of this, we can begin to, in going to the feeling, come back, bring the meaning of that into our awareness and hold that, that it's happy, beautiful, joyful, sublime, bright, resonant or dark, dominated by mindfulness, surmountable by wisdom. All objects, as if they're seen as objects, are orphans. And in the act of practicing Dharma is like bringing your orphans home. All the ones who are out there, all the lost dreams and the hopes and the possibilities, gradually being able to bring them home. So you arrive at this quality of completion where objects dissolve. The meanings are gathered back. The objects dissolve. This is emptiness. The meanings are gathered back. The objects dissolve. As we come to this um, time in our process, whatever meaning um, has arisen for you, take it back. Whatever beauty has arisen for you, bring it into you, take it back, don't leave it with me. Whatever wisdom has arisen, take it back, don't leave it out here yours, live a joy, please take it back, it's yours.
And for myself, I feel the sense of just capturing the gratitude that many of you have expressed towards me and this situation and saying how pleased I am to be here. The place that's so, the time that's so fruitful for blessings. How pleased, how honoured I am to be felt part of this. And I take that and delight in it.